Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Vantage Point. Today is March 24th, 2021. I'm your host, Arusha Paris, and we have Matt Caruso on the show. Matt is the president of Caruso Investments. Thanks for being here, Matt. Thanks for having me, Arusha. On today's podcast, we are going to talk about the current markets. We're going to talk about the dangers of overtrading, and then we will end the episode with a few current ideas. So let's get into the current markets. The markets are in an uptrend. We have uh, five distribution days on the NASDAQ as of yesterday. Potentially, it's looking like we'll probably have a sixth distribution day uh, after today's trading and seven still on the S&P 500. So the distribution dates are really starting to collect. The market is choppy. Matt, what are your thoughts on this market? Uh, I, I think despite what the indexes are showing, there's a lot of, of weakness under the uh, surface, especially in a lot of the growth names that uh, people were trading in the past year. There's been some strength in obviously energy and some metals, but I think even there's starting to be some weakness there with the break in oil earlier in the week. So um, I've been pretty cautious uh, the, the recent past. And Matt, you, you've been, uh, you were looking at some other historical examples to try to get an idea mm-hmm of how uh, this environment could end up uh, end up uh, leading to, right? Absolutely, actually, um, I, I figured, you know, there's something, some, something seems similar about this from what I've seen in the past. So I, I kind of dialed back to look at other instances where we had these very large moves up from, you know, market corrections or market consolidations. Okay. And I kind of boiled it down to periods where we had these 80% plus gains in the index uh, without breaching the 200 day. Uh, some examples were after the uh, 2009 correction, the 2003 market correction, and you had these very large up moves. And typically what happens at the end of those, where I, I think we've probably reached that end point, is for a number of months, you usually get a downward correction to your 200-day and usually lasts on average, you know, 18 to 19% and four to six months. So that was kind of my thinking coming into the new year. I was looking at that 200, which was about that 17, 18% lower. And now we've got that chop. I think we'll have this downward bias and chop just like other periods after uh, big run-ups. So it's so if it's four to six months or so, we're probably like a month and a half into this correction right now. That's right. And if you look at everything that drove the uptrend, it only stands to reason after such substantial gains, there's people sitting with large profits. There's less incentive for the Fed to be accommodative with such big uh, market gains. So all of the kind of bullish underpinnings don't go away. And, you know, people, I think last year was the year of the trend. We had strong trends down, strong trends up. And uh, I think just like they say in the war, the general always fights the last war. A lot of people are expecting just a, another big coronavirus drop. I think probably what's more in the cards, kind of choppy sideways action, probably with a downward bias into summer would be my, my best uh, estimate. Well, you know, so far, that's really the characteristic of the market is sticking with uh, what what your studies are showing here. Uh, And honestly, yeah, and it has been very, very choppy. It's been very, very tricky. Honestly, me personally, I wouldn't mind having a little bit of a correction to really kind of wipe out the excesses of last year, set up some really nice bases and give us a great opportunity, maybe at the starting in the fall of 2021. Absolutely. And if, if you look at even sentiment surveys, it's amazing how, you know, the AAII survey took so long to get bear, bullish and it's yeah. still at a very bullish reading, despite, you know, kind of volatility in a lot of last year's leaders. I think it's probably tied more to the S&P action, the Dow action, which has been strong. So given kind of the weakness in, you know, the growth leaders of last year and the still kind of pervasive bullish sentiment, 
I really think, like you said, I, I would actually look forward to some kind of a, you know, a correction, nothing too severe, but something that would kind of take off the, the bullish froth to set up some really nice constructive bases for an up leg. Right. Uh, so, Matt, how did you get into investing? Walk us through uh, kind of the path that you took to end up where you are right now. Well, um, my father's favorite, you know, side gig was, was the market. Uh, okay. So as a kid, he kind of introduced that to me. And uh, he was more into the Buffett style of investing in the 90s. And that's what I, I tried to, to look at as, as a kid, but it wasn't too interesting. And uh, one day, I think it was 2003, we were watching Kudlow and Kramer and, and Bill O'Neill was a guest on the show with his new book and probably talking about the new uptrend that was starting. I don't remember exactly. And uh, we both thought it was interesting what he said. We said, let's go pick up this book. And I kind of launched this passion for markets from when I was a teenager, really. Um, my first trades were in my dad's account. I wasn't legal to trade yet. I was, <laughs> I was the, the Robin Hooder of the time. But, uh, you know, I traded everything. Commodities were busy back then. So I was trading future. I was in university trading soybeans in class on my laptop oh, and doing wow. whatever I could. And I, like yourself, I have my CMT designation, which I did while I was in university. And um, that led me to be president of the uh, Canadian Society of Technical Analysts and landed my first job out of school in the uh, pro trading market making division of one of the big banks here in uh, Canada. And, and what did you learn at that bank? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people think that when I got there, that's where my training happened. But a lot of it was experience. When I showed up, it was Hey, look, you know, F1 is buy, F4 is sell, F3 is short, go make some money. So you know, what, I, what I did learn wasn't really a training program was some of the other pros next to me were saw this young kid, you know, on, on the um, on the team trying to make some money and showed me the ropes. And uh, their 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 business was primarily the floor guys who came up were now in the offices with the closing of the floor. So they were very day trading oriented, you know, market making just day, you know, day trading and taking advantage of market opportunities. So that, that was very new for me. And and my background, I've been swing trading and, and trying to do kind of what Bill taught. And um, but I was very technical because that was my passion. So, you know, day trading is a very technical business. It's not very fundamental driven, except for you know some reaction to news and events. So, um, so really, it was what they showed me, and I really got a, a very deep understanding of of how buy and sell flows happen, how to read the tape if someone's really trying to accumulate or, or, or distribute stock. Yeah. And uh, I think that coming together with all my other knowledge is kind of giving me a very good, you know, well-rounded view of the market from, from the bottom up and the top down. And, and so let's go a little bit into that accumulation. What were you seeing, especially on the intraday charts? What, what were you mm -hmm. seeing with the, the accumulation? What were some of the characteristics? So one of the real key relationships, so our, our department, we were in Canada, so our, our focus was typically resources. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in the resource market, it's, it's a little bit different from traditional market industry. So everything's very tied to your commodity. So, I mean, your, your gold stock is very tied to the price of gold and oil to the price of oil. So I, I really, so when Bill talks about relative strength in the marketplace, that's really present in, in, the, in the day trading world because you're always, I was always constantly looking at how is this gold stock or how is this group of gold stocks acting versus the commodity itself? Are they outperforming, underperforming? Yeah. If the commodity was falling and these weren't falling, that, that indicated some strength. Um, but you had to put that in context of trends. So sometimes ironically, you know, if, if they wouldn't break down with the commodity, but the trend was down, there was just that inevitable ledge that they would walk off of and, and the drop would be all the quicker. So you kind of learn to, to read, you know, both longer term trends along with the intraday subtleties of, of uh, the buying and selling. But I, I started pre-algo before the HFT took over. So, I mean, yeah. it was really, you know, guys putting orders in. So you really saw a little clearer, especially with you know, the level two data, what was going on. That's a little murkier now, but uh, it gave a great understanding of, of, of the actual microstructure. And then, so after the algos, 
what what did you see start changing in, in the market? I remember the day they flipped them on, it was instant, you know. And wow. Oh yeah, and I, and I, they were they weren't very intelligent in the beginning, so guys would actually kind of leave the algo up and sell into it, and that was an infraction of trading rules. So we had to kind of stop doing that. We were kind wow. of uh, slapped on the hand by the exchange. Okay. But uh, that really changed, and and with time, their size got bigger, and they were able to move stocks faster. So. A lot of times I'll see these, these large moves and the volatility is huge and that is all algo driven. So in the beginning, a lot of that was really designed just to kind of you know accumulate stocks slowly, what an individual trader would do. But as time went on, you actually had these new computer programs kind of really just designed to attack traders to take, it's not only to fill an order, but to really take advantage of other people's positioning and just to try and out trade them kind of what would take place, you know, professional trader to professional trader. So. There's a lot of angles going on. When you see those those very quick moves in a stock and they just stop you out and turn up, that's probably an algo that was programmed to, to go and get those stops. So it's a lot of the same old tricks just done with high technology. Now, now so it, it's really interesting to hear that you started off with intraday charts, day trading, but you've mm -hmm. evolved over the years and, and now you are more of an intermediate position trader. Talk a little bit about that. So um, one of the issues with uh, day trading that I, I found myself personally is, is these algos kept getting stronger and stronger. And uh, a lot of people, you know, fellow traders left the business. And uh, I, I just kind of saw that if I really wanted to compound my wealth and really grow and build and, and, and evolve, I didn't feel day trading was the best way to do that going forward. And uh, since my starting, my, my roots was through Bill and I always loved it and I always kept up with it. And I love the idea of following growth stories and the technical picture, I, I kind of got to a point where I said, you know what, I, I want to just change the trajectory of where I'm going a few years back. And I said, I'm going to take everything I learned from everything I've done with day trading and everything I've learned by following, you know, can slim over the years and build my own unique approach that kind of blends the two of them for keeping, you know, risk very controlled because, you know, when you have a, a very short-term view, you can, you know, you know, very quickly if you're wrong. And if I, I figured if I can tie that in with, you know, the long run of some of these monster stocks, you kind of get the best of both worlds. And that's kind of worked that what worked out well for me last year. So that's that's kind of how I evolved to kind of combine both strategies. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, one, one of the reasons why I asked that question was you were talking about the high frequency traders, a lot of these alg algos that are running through the market right now. It it almost makes the strategy that Bill O'Neill's talked about that IBD is all about even more important, especially weekly charts. Bill O'Neill, one thing he just kept emphasizing, weekly charts, weekly charts. I almost feel like after these algos really started getting going and getting much more sophisticated, it made the weekly charts that much more important because it's a lot harder for these programs to influence the longer time frames versus a daily chart or, or you know, obviously the intraday charts. Well, I mean, we could nudge stocks, you know, back in the day to, to, to kind of break a level and see if there's real demand or not. And you can do that on a short-term basis. On a weekly basis, it's a lot more difficult. So um, I think that roadmap is really key. And, and another reason that I think it's so important is at one point I was trying to run like a few strategies at once. And, you know, you get so bogged down with the day-to-day -day and your positions and, and, you know, a lot of people like to swing trade or day trade. And then this great, you know, setup comes around. that doesn't come around often. That is this really big money setup that you can make more money in four or five months with this, you know, this kind of trend than you will in a few years day trading and you miss it. And I know I've missed it in the past because you're busy with these positions, you're trying to work off something and, and these setups come around and either you're lose, lose focus, lose concentration, or your capital's pre-committed. And so you miss out on these great opportunities. So I, I think really you have to really specialize and be the best you can at your approach. 
And uh, every strategy, if it's a good holistic strategy, will have its day in the sun. And you just want to be there when, when your strategy is ready to go. Now, you participated in the, the U.S. Investing Championship this past year, right? Okay. And, and, and how did you how'd you do in that championship? How did you finish? So I finished fourth with, uh, I think it was 346%. Um, if you would have told me at the beginning of the year I had that return, I'd be fourth. I wouldn't have believed you. Yeah. But actually, in September, I, I was first at one point uh, with a 425%. But uh, a couple of stocks had some gap downs on earnings. And because I stayed true to, to kind of my new approach for longer term trends, I, I kind of missed out on a few of the swings that some of the other uh, great traders who were in the competition last year caught on to. But uh, it was a great, it was a great uh, experience. I met some very interesting, very smart people. So um, it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And, and what, was, uh, one of, what, was your, uh, what was one of the lessons that you got from that experience? I think, uh, I think the lesson that I got was patience is really key. So if you can really wait for that fastball down the middle, that's the, the, the major setup. And apart from Bill O'Neill, one of my influences was, was Martin Zweig. Okay. And he, he really says the author of Bull and Bear Markets is the Federal Reserve and monetary policy. And I think it's absolutely true. I mean, if the Federal Reserve is a Wizard of Oz, last year is the year the curtain came off and everybody saw because how everybody could be stuck at home and the market could embark on a major bull market. I mean, Without the intervention of the Federal Reserve, that could not have happened. So I think that for anyone who was unaware or didn't quite understand the subtleties of monetary policy, which because I was in the gold market for many years, I understand the impact of that. I think last year was a real clear factor that you want to wait for that really good setup, take advantage, but it doesn't happen all the time. And uh, you know, to end this segment here, uh, there, there, there's something about uh, Netflix and uh, your birthday that you sometimes like, uh, like to do. <laughs> well, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Well, when I, when I started on the trading desk, it was, I was a few years in and, and I was one of the only guys doing can slim on the side of day trading it. And Netflix was one of the first monster stocks I really caught. So I had my 25th birthday and, and Netflix was actually, uh, my, my birthday cake was a big Netflix chart that we had printed up. It's, uh, I don't know if that was maybe bad luck because soon after that, Netflix dropped 80%. Luckily, I was out of it. But uh, that was probably the sign of a top for anybody who would have uh, anyone who seen my cake. A young guy with a monster stock and a, and, and a stock chart on his cake should have known that was a a sell signal so uh, that 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 is a really really good point so the, the market isn't an uptrend but it is choppy and so make sure you are managing your risk and keeping your losses small if you take those losses uh let's take a quick break but when we return we're going to talk about a number of trading lessons including the dangers of over trading we'll be back struggling to navigate the new markets and conquer volatility will stocks plunge downwards or are there bullish trends on the horizon Vantage Point can help. Their team of experts is ready to show you how artificial intelligence can predict market patterns up to 72 hours in advance. Go to www.freestockcoaching.com and experience Vantage Point's AI for free. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Matt Caruso is our guest on Investing with IBD, sponsored by Vantage Point. Okay, Matt, let's talk about a number of trading lessons and let's start off with the dangers of over trading. And that's a little strange because you started out intraday trading. Talk about a little bit about that. So uh, I still watch the market all day, even if I'm not trading. It's just a passion of mine. But I traded every day. Every, every time the market was open, I was trading if I was on vacation or if I was I rarely took vacations. But uh, but one of the lessons I learned is, um, for example, every strategy has a time where you probably shouldn't be using it. And for day trading, that's the summertime. 
So uh, every year I'd kind of make a hole for myself in August when I should have been by the beach and just relaxing outside and then September would come around and I'd have to make up my losses. And that was kind of a cycle I know eventually I, I started to notice that and, and I started to anticipate that and, and adjust for it. But um, I think you're seeing it now in this current market for swing trading or position type trading. I mean, that's true in these kind of markets as well. If, if you're going to be swing trading in a choppy market, you know, if you do it too much and, and you bleed your account down too much, by the time that next great setup comes around, you, you've just given up so much profit and you got to work it back. So, uh, you know, a penny saved is really a penny earned. So you really want to avoid that as much as possible. Unfortunately, I think it's kind of experience really teaches that there's hard to, it's hard to give an indicator to really show that. But when your trades aren't working, that's typically a sign that you should be uh, at least stepping back a little bit. Yeah. I mean, if you start having four or five trades and you're wrong and you find yourself you're wrong a lot more than you're right, uh, maybe you're not over trading, but the market is trying to tell you something there that the, about the environment. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about uh, a little bit about position sizing too, because this is obviously uh, a huge part of uh, performance and a lot, not a lot of people truly understand this until they really experience it too. How do you uh, size your positions? Uh, so I have a goal. So I'm fairly aggressive in, in how I invest. I like to keep a very concentrated portfolio. Uh, so my positions will tend to be 20% or, or a little bit greater of my account once I develop them. So I won't start out with an initial 25% you know, position, but that's my goal to build up when a stock is performing well. Uh, but people have to understand you know, position sizing has a huge impact in how profitable you'll be with a strategy. So, uh, you know, just a simple example of, you know, flipping a coin where there's a 50-50 chance, you know, if you have the wrong position sizing, even if the odds are given to you in your favor, there's always going to be that string of losses that are going to come that will, can blow you up. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I think most people in the beginning kind of approach it haphazardly. And one, it's very dangerous because it can cause to, you know, it can lead to ruin. Or at the same time, it can lead to underperformance because you're heavily invested in stocks that are not performing well and your good stocks are under um, underinvested in. So I, I think it's really important that you take a step back and your position sizing becomes an important key of your overall goal. So if you don't have that as, as an important aspect of your approach, then there's definitely a hole that's missing and, and it'll cost you something somewhere along the way. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh... And, and when you have some of those, uh, when, when you're really on a roll and if you're co heavily concentrated on one of the best stocks in the market, it's usually a few stocks that are going to make the difference, at least in my experience, uh, that are going to make the difference in, in a good year. Absolutely. I mean, uh, and also at the same time, sometimes stocks can gap against you on the downside. I, I had Fassi last year, which was yeah, one of my big winners, and it was a really big gap down when they lost their TikTok yes. customer. So if you would have been just going for a swing trade and you said, hey, you know what, I just put 80% of my account in each trade, no matter what, at any price. Well, one hit like that and you're set, you know, you lose 50%, you need 100% to come back to even. So in terms of risk management and also profit potential, you really have to sit down and think of what are my goals, my risk tolerances and, and build a holistic plan. Let's talk a little bit about innovation. Now, it, we're, we're normally buying growth stocks and growth areas and, and a lot of times technology related areas because there's tons of innovation there yeah. but uh, there can be innovation in pretty much all industries talk a little bit about that and, and how you incorporate that into your trading strategy so i think we're entering a really interesting time all the big tech names that that led last year a lot of them were, were building very interesting technologies or artificial intelligence and so those were great companies but What's also amazing is the companies that are going to be using these tools. 
So a, a lot of companies can be old industry, but these tools come around and it increases their productivity. It, it changes the way they build inventory, the way they uh, sell to customers. Uh, so what seems like perhaps a stodgy business or something that's a little bit outdated can actually be turned around by a new technology that they incorporate, even if they're not the ones selling the technology themselves. So that's why whenever you see kind of really big earnings and sales numbers, you really want to dig a little bit deeper past the headline to see what exactly are they doing? Because oftentimes it's an older business, but they're leading with a new approach. Yeah. And uh, talk, talk also a little bit about like biotechs, right? And, and biotechs and yeah, and a little bit more about like those. So you're talking a little bit about the, the tailwinds, right? In some of these industries. What about like biotechs? Do you, do you play around with these, these stocks or um, do you try to avoid them? How, how do you approach this? Because those obviously have a little bit more risk. You talked about gap downs before. Absolutely. Nobody's back. <laughs> biotechs can have heavy gap down risk. Yeah. So, I mean, the medical space, I, I tend to approach more medical device makers. I can understand it better. Yeah. Um, I can, I can see from a business perspective how they're going to grow up. That's really important to me because if I can't understand the business model, I, you're going to have a very hard time sitting through these big corrections or position sizing. It takes a lot of confidence in yourself, in your strategy, and in the, in the business you're investing in to really have a concentrated portfolio. It's not, it's not easy to do that. And so uh, for me, biotechs, I kind of stay away from. But I mean, a lot of stocks, sometimes if you don't get the business, even like, for example, energy, materials, metals, even though it's an energy stock, like we're seeing energy is strong now, if you look back at other periods like the 2000s or the 70s, there were tailwinds. I mean, it was the rise of China in the 2000s. In the 70s, you had secular inflation. So even if it's a, not only a stodgy business, but a stodgy industry group, if there's a secular tailwind that's pushing that company up, you can have huge gains. But the way I like to approach it is rather than just picking a stock off the bottom, I want to find oil stock that's making, let's say, record earnings or they're projected to make record earnings next year. So it's not just a bounce off the bottom. So, for example, Southwest Energies in the 2000s, you know, natural gas was being, uh, you know, used in, in energy in a much different way than it had in the past. And, you know, their prices had climbed for, for energy efficiency reasons. And Southwest Energies was one of the big winners of that. So you want to look at the whole story and find why is that growth going on and, and which industries are, are benefiting from it. No, those are great points. And, and one, one thing that you mentioned in that is uh, confidence. And this is really important. Why, why is this so important to, to the listeners out there? Well, you know, uh, the market, when the market gets choppy, it's, it's really going to test your confidence. So the problem with, with a lot of people who don't have the confidence in what they're doing, and that comes from lack of experience, lack of, um, you know, fully planning the strategy that you're building out. Yeah. And, you know, recently, for example, people were saying you got to sell growth and buy oil. And then as soon as that was the main thing that everyone was talking about, you know, oil has a strong drop lower. And so you're kind of always chasing the tail end of every move because in all my experience, it's almost, you know, going to be 20 years soon since I first started dabbling in stocks. No one's ever kind of given me a big heads up ahead of a major move. It's kind of at the end <laughs> of the move that I always hear about everything. So yeah. by the time you hear about it, chances are it's not the right move. So if you lack your own confidence to make a decision when everyone's not telling you it was a great idea or that's not a mainstream idea yet, you're probably going to miss out on a lot of the best opportunities and, and keep chasing your tail. No, those are really, really good points. I mean, a lot of times you have to see those setups and the, and the market's going to see them first and anticipate what's going to happen. Um, now, there, there are a few points that you, you, know, you already mentioned Bill O'Neill, how he really got you into this after seeing the Kudlow and Kramer uh, show him, him on there. Um, talk, talk a little, a few other aspects, why you like Bill's strategy so much and what, what uh, particular Bill did you like? 
So I, I think what I love about Bill's strategy is one, he's just the eternal optimist and bullish on America and capitalism. And I love that. And, uh, but really I like the way he approached charting. So I've, if anyone's written an, a book on technical analysis in the past 30 years, I've probably purchased it. Um, so I've really read everything, but what Bill brought to the, to the, the charting world, although he's not probably not known as a technical analyst, he's really an amazing investor, is the way he looked at uh, bases week by week. He, he wasn't just looking at a shape or a pattern. A lot of people who deride the um, technical analysis think like, oh, you know, everything's a cup and handle or a double bottom. Yeah. Yeah. But in reality, what you're trying to assess is what's the demand and supply? Where's the imbalance? Is someone accumulating? Is someone distributing? You're kind of looking at it like through a microscope to see what's really going on. So if you're just looking through charts quickly and, and you are just looking at general patterns and you're not seeing the faults in those patterns or what they're supposed to really look like, you're not really getting the sense of demand and supply. Is there buying? Is there selling? And once you tie that in together again with Bill, with, with the fundamental side of things, you're building this holistic picture of which stocks should go up and when should I buy them? And uh, that really tied in with um, uh, I had Ralph Acampora, one of the founders of the CNT Association, left yep. a very good impression on me. And he used to come to Montreal to, to speak to our group. And I met him once in New York and generally re great guy. And he told me, you know, Matt, what I used to do in the 90s and when he was at Prudential and he had all these great calls is uh, he's like, I used to do what was called thrice blessed. So Ralph, before joining Wall Street, was going to join the seminary and become a priest. And he decided to join Wall Street, which is, is quite a switch. Yeah. And what he would do is he'd go to the fundamental department and take all their best fundamental ideas, go to then pass those ideas to the quant department and get what was left over. And he'd look at the charts of this final list of stocks and give his technical opinion. And these were his thrice blessed, his, his high quality setups. And that's really what Bill did. And a lot of people miss this because they operate in silos. I mean, they either look just at fundamentals or just at technicals or just a quant system. And so I really try and do what Bill does and, you know, kind of the impression Ralph left on me. And I really try and incorporate all. So I try and look at the fundamentals, technicals, and, and I have some kind of quantitative approaches to make sure I don't, you know, get too far from my, my actual plan. Yeah, no, I, it's, uh, it makes a lot of sense. It was one of the big reasons why Bill's system, can Slim, uh, really made sense to me. You're combining the best of both worlds. Yeah. Uh, now, your, your entries into stocks are going to differ a little bit depending on the market cycle. If you're, if you're at the beginning of a market cycle, you're, you're going to try certain entries. And then when you're in a couple of months into that cycle, your entries may change. Talk a little bit about that. So, you know, if you look at kind of Bill's bases and you study past charts, I mean, really, these are the bases that form after these, you know, in the middle of these big moves that happen in stocks. But uh, typically what happens is when you're coming out of a market correction, the breakouts work fantastic as traditional cup would handle breakouts or double bottom or, or any kind of technical breakout system that you want to use. There's been so many spoken about over the years, but eventually as the, as the trend matures and it becomes obvious to everybody, then you get a lot of professionals kind of like when I was doing my day trading days where you say, Oh, I know above that high, everyone's going to buy that stock. So it becomes very easy to kind of nudge it above a certain level. Cause there's kind of these, these gaps of demand and supply where everyone knows there's going to be buyers above a level or sellers below a level, a level. So early on when everyone is, sold out of the market and, and the first buyers coming in are early. I like to say the first two months of a rally, you buy breakouts. After that, you want to buy pullbacks. And until we go into another correction, the whole story starts over again. And I think that's just the psychology of the market. In the beginning, no one wants to buy a breakout. When yeah. I was buying Livongo last April, it is scary. The, the coronavirus yeah. is shutting down everything and the breakout's right. scary. But after a year of, of gains, people kind of become a little bit sloppy. Like, hey, wow, you know, just buy new highs and it's easy money. And 
then they won't work anymore. So the market never does what's easy. And um, so I think that's why people who get frustrated with breakout and say it doesn't work, or they say pullbacks don't work. If you're waiting a pullback on a pullback early in a trend, you never buy it. And if you're buying breakouts too late in the trend, that's the worst time to buy it. So you really, timing is a really big aspect of when to use these tools. Uh, you, you, yesterday when we were talking, uh, you, you shared a, a really great saying about uh, gold mines. Uh, <laughs> share that with the audience, please. So, you know, on a fundamental basis, um, we're all looking for these stocks with these big earnings and big sales. And the argument always goes, you know, hey, that's last quarter. That's, that's it's not relevant anymore. What, what counts is next quarter. So the way I like to look at it, though, is, um, you know, in, in the resource market, there's a saying that the best place to find a gold mine is next to a gold mine. And it's true. I mean, that's the highest, <laughs> the, the most likely place to find additional gold in the ground is there instead of, you know, going all over the, the earth. So I think the point that, you know, the genius of Bill and the simplicity of it is, if you find these stocks growing at 100% per quarter for several quarters, those are the ones out of the 10 or 15,000 possible stocks to buy that are most likely to have another triple digit earnings or sales growth next year and the year after because they're on the trend of this new technology or this new uh, trend in investor uh, in the retail buyers habits, whether they want uh, Netflix or Apple or cell phones and they're on this new trend. So the fact that they've already shown these big numbers, they're most likely to do it again. And all you're really investing is in is the fact that this trend is going to persist. So it's just a way to, to shorten your list of candidates of who am I going to buy. So I think that should really end the argument of whether or not last quarter is important or not. No, no, it, it's a great, great advice there. So learning the key market lessons quickly will help you overcome the pitfalls that most traders fall into. Coming up next, we are going to talk about a few ideas. Stay tuned. When a stock skyrockets, we're all eager to see if it will push higher or reverse course. And there is one tool that can help, artificial intelligence. Vantage Point's AI has been calling so many bullish runs for stocks charging upwards in advance with up to 87.4% proven accuracy. Go to www.freestockcoaching.com to see the AI for yourself in a free live demonstration. Check out this must-see tool for predictive analysis. Visit www.freestockcoaching.com to save your seat at this complimentary event. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. We are back with Matt Caruso on Investing with IBD, sponsored by Vantage Point. Okay, Matt, let's get into a few ideas here. And the first one we are going to do is uh, Shift for Payments, ticker symbol F-O-U-R, uh, for those of you who are listening, you can always go back to your computer later on, go to investors.com slash podcast, and you can watch the video version of the podcast and see us looking at charts. So uh, here's shift for payments. I'll add it to the, I'll switch it to the weekly chart. And Matt, what do you like about this stock? Well, one thing I like about this stock is uh, shift for payments is kind of in the realm of uh, what Square is doing. However, their real focus is the hospitality leisure space. So, you know, restaurants, hotels, uh, concert venues. And uh, one thing I found really interesting about this company is if you look at their sales growth last year in the middle of the coronavirus, where they were the majority of their clientele was shut down, they still managed to have an increase in sales. So they yeah. were still onboarding clients, even in the worst possible scenario possible for themselves. And so that was really um, an amazing thing that they pulled off. And um, the fact that their, their focus is on the leisure and hospitality space I think we're going to see a boon in that now, given that everyone's dying to go out. So yeah. they're going to have the secular tailwinds of 
payment technology, the fact that they grew in the middle of their worst case scenario. And now you're going to have all of these people that are, are dying to use their product through all the different venues that they attend. Um, so I think that really positions them very well to kind of benefit from the technology side of things and also the economy uh, reopening up. Uh, and this is a newer company too. Do you, uh, do you like to generally focus more on newer companies or older companies or do you have a, or are you just going to look at anything? I prefer newer companies. I mean, okay. if it's something that's older and turning around, that's that's great. Uh, so, I mean, uh, since the IPO, we've been kind of climbing slowly along the 10-week moving average. Yeah. Uh, I saw kind of an ascending base that was taking place, but the market volatility is kind of making it hard to stay in. Also, the founder, uh, I think, to provide a little liquidity in his day-to-day life, you know, uh, put some shares in a swap that always puts a little bit of downward pressure on the stock. Okay. But I think if the uh, market can stabilize and we can kind of uh, work out sideways along the 10 week. I think this is a really interesting play for the uh, economic uh, reopening. Yeah. And also in the IVD mutual fund index there, it looks like there are four funds that are, have started positions there or have positions in the stock. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the key for everyone listening out there, you know, these are ideas that are to put on the watch list. It's not necessarily setting up right now. Obviously the market's a little bit trickier, but put on the watch list. Eventually when the market settles down and these stocks set up, this could be one to, to consider. So that's shift for payments. Now, uh, the next stock on the list uh, that we're gonna go into is the ticker symbol is SLQT. And this is select quote. And so I just pulled it up here on the Mark Smith charts. And Matt, what do you like about these guys? So what I like about this, uh, Arusha, is this is kind of what we were talking about before, how new technologies are affecting older businesses. Yes. And so this is not a new business, although it's a recent IPO. They've been around for quite some time, uh, but they basically are like an insurance broker and they uh, onboard people and they set them up with different insurance companies with their plans. But what they do is they use uh, new technology targeted advertising to have a really high return on investment on their uh, marketing and to have a high um, uh, you know, throughput for customers that they speak to, to place them. Okay. And so that's why you can see, although it's somewhat of a stodgy business, they have great sales, great earnings growth. Yeah. And uh, I think they're really leading that side of the business. I mean, if you look at the trade desk and all these digital advertising platforms, they, they allow for such targeted advertising that you know, the old days of, you know, I think people just cold calling up, asking if you need insurance, I think are going to be gone. And I, and I think SelectQuote is one of the people leading that charge. And uh, they have some great backers. I know Soros Funds, I've invested in them. Um, if you look at kind of the weekly volume, we've had a kind of a surge of weekly volume on the right side as we're coming out of this longer term IPO cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, management has a fairly size, uh, big position in the company. So I think overall, uh, this is a great business that can do very well for, for quite some time. You have the great numbers, and this is really the two worlds of an you know old older business with new technology coming together. Yeah, no, those, those are great points. I mean, it is pulling back near the the top of the uh, top of this big kind of cup with the handle, right. and and maybe it'll need to set up a, another base here. But that select quote uh, ticker symbol SLQT. Now, the third stock that we wanted to go into is uh, Denberry, ticker symbol D-E-N. And this is, uh, I noticed this over the weekend, just like, wow, you, uh, out of the oil stocks, this one is holding up uh, quite well. What do you like about it? So again, you know, uh, although the oil space, you know, has a lot of stocks just coming, coming off the bottom, it was in secular decline for so long. This company went through a restructuring recently. So they kind of cleared their books and, and cleared all the, the dead weight. 
And um, what I like about this is I'm, I'm looking, even in the energy industry that's been beaten down for so long, I'm looking for stocks that are going to start delivering record earnings. So if you look at 2021, 2022, this is a stock that's really on the trajectory to really, you know, bring in record earnings. So if oil stays strong, this is going to have those additional tailwinds. And um, I think just on a technical perspective, this has been holding in very well. I mean, the whole energy space has been good, but in the past week or so where energy has been a little bit weaker, we've really just been going sideways here. So this is one I'm watching to see if it can kind of continue to tighten up and uh, is a real candidate for me to be in the space. One of the negatives, I, the market cap's a little on the smaller side at you know mm -hmm. 2.2 billion, but um, a lot of these energy, energy companies are kind of shadows of their former selves. So I think that's uh, something that you know people have to get used to in the space. Yeah, and, and obviously the, the earnings are starting to come around to uh some some big earnings right there that that's what really stuck out to me when i saw this yeah. over the weekend uh up up down volume ratio 2.7 mm -hmm. that that's uh, pretty high over one you know is uh once you get over there now it's more up volume versus down volume over two it's that's a lot so mm -hmm. you can also even see that in the the volume bars right here too so there's been a lot of accumulation i think the key here is let's see how it holds the 10 week line and, and maybe it puts in, maybe it sets up a flat pace in the next few weeks and, uh, and actually gives us more of a, a classic kind of buy point to, to get into. Absolutely. So that's Denberry ticker symbol DEN once again, and uh, let's go to one more and this is revolve and it's ticker symbol RVLV. What, uh, what, what'd you like about this stock, Matt? So this is another stock that's uh, an interesting story to me. Um, they're primarily an, an online retailer. And what they really use is big data and data analysis in terms of pro, you know, procuring their inventory, uh, you know, what kind of trends that they're going to be focusing on. And, and they really analyze every purchase by their clients. And they, they really built the company from the ground up to use data analytics to guide the, uh, the buying process. Um, you know, so I, I think that's really interesting as well is that their focus is primarily on, on younger women. And, uh, you know, the, the various festivals is where they typically advertise and, and they garner a lot of attention that's been shut down for the past year. So the fact that they've been able to do very well, even with a lot of the events that most people use their, their clothing for also shows that they're, they're able to, to pivot extremely quickly thanks to their, their data analysis. And I think that's only going to continue to serve them very well as the, the reopening happens. So again, it's a very large cup with a cup base forming. We're kind of retaking out the IPO highs. Uh, but I think if we can kind of stabilize here, the fact that we're, we're sitting near new all-time highs uh, shows that there's, there's you know, renewed interest in the company. And I think you see that even on the weekly, you see at every earnings, there's been kind of really a big surge of volume buying on each of those weeks. So, um, you know, that's big buying coming into the stock. And, and you really see that in the uptrend that it formed. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you, you uh, highlighted a lot of the key areas here, especially the going into uh, new highs. Anytime a newer company goes into it kind of goes through this process right they, they came out public in june of 2019 it got hammered down more than 50 percent, way more than 50 percent. now it's made it all the way back up uh it, it's and with this kind of heavy uh volume buying uh eve bobak was on the the show last week she talks about this the institutional due diligence phase where now the institutions have had a year plus to kind of look at it, go through the uh, go through the business, and they start getting confidence to see how the business is growing. Now they're starting to accumulate, and they drive the, the shares back up. It's it's kind of past that first test, and so whenever these stocks, uh, new stocks, can recover, make it all the way back, 
Yeah, I I think that that's a that that's a star, a gold star on the for the stock. And so now you wait for it to see it set up, and then obviously do your research to see if it makes sense to you. They have great earnings here, mm-hmm. um, so it's a nice acceleration of the earnings too. And if you want a strong prior uptrend, there you go. I mean, the the last few months really really strong prior uptrend. So if it can set up another base again, this would this could very well be something that I'll consider too. It kind of reminds me of Farfetch. Uh, yeah. ticker symbol FTCH, which has gotten hit uh, recently, but it, it went on a great run uh, for a while. And I, and I tried this uh, back, you know, out of coming out of this cup right here, it had a really strong prior uptrend. It was going into about new highs and a very powerful breakout and worked quite well for a number of months there. And now it needs some rest. Uh, I don't know, Matt, if you've run across this one or looked into this uh, Farfetch. I have also, it's, you know, an online retailer and, and they're, they're definitely benefiting from the, the secular tailwinds to that, of the luxury space moving online. Yeah. But, you know, I think these are great examples of, there's been so many new SPACs and, and these types of IPOs that have come out and people rush to kind of buy them. And, you know, last year was such a strong year in the market that everyone kind of has this, this idea that these stocks keep exploding higher. But my background, because I was in the resource space for many years, and I just saw so many oil companies and mining companies kind of go to zero and just disappear off the board. My, my experience is almost the opposite. I, I'm used to seeing companies disappear. So <laughs> I, I kind of, you know, I like Bill saying every stock's, uh, you know, uh, the only good stock is a stock that goes up and every other stock's a bad stock. So I'm very cautious. These IPOs, I don't have the proper setup. You got to be very careful. Yeah, I mean, that is a really, really good uh, lesson right there. Uh, and you learned an insanely good lesson uh, with from from uh, all those uh, resource companies uh, going bankrupt. Uh, yeah. uh, I, I think that the, I mean that's a lesson that's going to serve you for years and years because yeah. you learned immediately what the dangers of investing are without risk management. Absolutely, to, to live through a six or seven year bear market where prices just keep going lower and and you just the stock was. $90 at 20, it's got to be a bargain. Then it's 10 then it's five then it's three. And, oh and you, you know, that's, oh again, that's why you have to have your confidence in your system and confidence in yourself because the market will always find a way to confound you. So you, you better be absolutely strict and rigid in following your rules. Yeah. And, and the first rule you really need to get down is the sell rule. When the stock's going up, I love it. I speak well about it. I give it all the time in the world. And, you know, you can ask my wife, as soon as it starts to go into the red column, suddenly, you know, the stock I was looking to buy hats for or whatever, I, I suddenly hate this thing. She's like, but now we know we're going to order it. Well, no, now I hate it. It's gone. It's off the list. I don't want to see it. It doesn't exist anymore. So you, be- you better move up. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that is perfect. So there are a few ideas that are worth considering. Thanks, Matt, for joining us today. Thanks. It was my pleasure, Rusha. Next week, we will have Scott St. Clair returning back to the show. Scott is a senior product coach of MarketSmith. Uh, We will be recording one day earlier next week, too. So that's it for this week on Investing with IBD. I'm Arusha Pierce, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at Investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. Hi, everyone. Arusha here. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. 
For full disclosure, I am a portfolio manager at O'Neill Global Advisors, which is a sister company of IBD, and I might be buying or selling any stocks that are mentioned in this podcast. Make sure to consult with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.